Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And I'll be reading the entire psalm. Taking a break this week, maybe longer, I'm not sure, from the book of Hebrews. This week we're in Psalm 103. Verses 1 through 22. They're on the screen. Hopefully you've got a Bible too. You can read along. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust." As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Heavenly Father, that is what we want in this room today. We want a people who see your goodness toward us whose hearts are filled with praise, and it spills out of our mouths. So, Lord, would you please give us grace this morning to see you as you really, truly are. Overwhelm us with your love and your mercy, and may we be a people who gladly say these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. So that is my intention in bringing this particular text to you this morning so that the living word of God will put the praise of God on our hearts and lips. And this psalm tells us of the complete delight that David's heart had in the moment when he first penned these words. And on the other side of such a challenging week in our city, I think our hearts need to be taught this lesson that we find here. And about this psalm, an old preacher named G. Campbell Morgan says this, It is perhaps the most perfect song of pure praise to be found in the Bible. It has become the common inheritance of all who through suffering and deliverance have learned the goodness of Jehovah. Through centuries it has been sung by glad hearts, 
And today it is as fresh and full of beauty as ever. That's high praise, is it not? And he said there that it is our common inheritance, meaning that the words in this psalm belong to us because we belong to God. And so these words, they orient us like the North Star does for a traveler to who God is and what he is like to his people. And any thought that you might have that contradicts what you see here in this text needs the gentle touch and correction of Psalm 103. But why is it that we can claim this psalm and all of God describes for us here as our inheritance? What claim do we have that God is all these things to us? I think verse 18 is a pretty good place for us to start. It says there that these words are for those who keep his covenant. Those who keep his covenant. What exactly does that mean? What is a covenant? A covenant's an agreement. It's generally made between two parties with certain obligations attached to them. And so marriages are covenants. That's what those two people are entering into when they stand before the minister and stand before the Lord. They are making a covenant with one another. They both come together and agree by making vows. That's what those vows are. It's not just pretty words that get said there to warm the hearts of the people. Those vows are saying, these are my obligations, and I am committing to you to do these things on this day, confirming that bond, a bond that has certain benefits and blessings attached to it in that union that they've made with one another. God made covenants with people. God has made a covenant with you, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But God made a covenant with Israel through Moses that would provide blessings to those people if they kept them and curses on those people if they were broken. And so David writes here in verse 18, as a man under that covenant of the assurance to the people of God that all of these words are true and they belong to them if they maintain their side of the covenant. So if they ever were to doubt God's goodness toward them, all they need to do is look at these words, look at the truths that are here, and see that the Lord has committed himself to their good in this way. And I'm sure there was many a saint under that old covenant whose heart became troubled, many. And he or she would have begun having feelings that God was unloving, that God was unkind or that his heart was hardened toward them. And those troubled souls would have read this psalm from the heart and the pen from their greatest king and found overwhelming comfort in the truths that were here to remind them what he is like, no matter what my heart says. Has that ever been the case with you? Have you ever become unsettled in your thoughts toward God? Have you ever felt like he had somehow turned on you, that things weren't going the way that you wanted them to, more hardship than you felt like you could handle. And over time, thoughts began to creep into your head about who he is, wrong thoughts, that maybe he's not kind toward me. 
Maybe he doesn't really love me like he says that he does. He sure feels distant right now. Why, why is that? You start to doubt his goodness. And as we read these words right here, you might think to yourself, yeah, I, I see these, but were these not also written a long, long time ago to a nation named Israel, to a people who lived under a different kind of agreement than what has been made with us? Why is it that we can claim these words as our inheritance? Why do they belong to us so far removed from the nation of Israel, right? And so much, not just time-wise, but even distance. Why do those words belong to me? And we confess as a church that the reason that these words belong to us is because we belong to Christ. The old covenant that God made with Israel, it anticipated Jesus' coming. In types, pictures, shadows of all that Jesus was going to be. But once he came, all of those types and shadows and pictures, those disappeared. And the old covenant gave way to the new one. The new covenant has swallowed up the old and all the promises of that first covenant now belong to those who belong to the new, the better, the lasting covenant. A covenant that we've been given by our God through the blood of his son. And it is faith in Christ that gives us access to this covenant. Faith, trust, belief. Continued faith then in Christ keeps us in that covenant. And so your obedience to this covenant is faith. That's your obedience. Jesus has fulfilled all the obligations for your entrance into the love of God and all of his promises, and your faith in him grants you the blessings that he has won. He's done it. We look to him. And so you now desire to do what pleases God, do you not? Do you want to keep his law? Do you desire to do what honors him? But you need to understand that doing what pleases him does not keep you in covenant with God. Faith in Christ does. Man, that is good news. And so when I fail to do what pleases God, when I sin, what do I do? I look to Christ. I look to Christ who obeyed for me and died for me. I confess my sin. I repent of it. And I trust in the blood of Jesus to cleanse me. Jesus is the center of my faith. Jesus is the center of my covenant with God. He's accomplished it all. I could not. That's why he did. Man, that is such good news. So, so many people feel like I've got to obey to stay in the good graces of God. Now, we want to do what pleases him. 
But to stay in the grace of God is simply to stay in Christ who has done everything for me. So my obedience earns nothing with God. It does not earn his favor. I have his favor by faith in his son. And then I want to do what pleases him and seek to do so after I have his favor. Does that make sense? So we stay in covenant simply by staying in Christ. So when you read these words, the Lord is telling you to have confidence when you read them, that he is all of this all of the time toward you. This is his word, this is his promise, and he does not fail to keep it. It is guaranteed by the blood of his son. It's that serious to him. And at this, our souls should straighten up a little bit from their slouching and sing out what we see here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me because of Christ my Savior. So the question then might need to be asked, why does the command need to be given to bless the Lord? Why should it even be said? Shouldn't it just be natural? Why should it have to be given at all? That's pretty simple, really. It's because I am prone to fail to do it. Look at verse 2. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We're commanded not to forget. Why would we be commanded to forget? Because we forget. At night when I'm upstairs getting my younger three kids in bed, I look around at their rooms and I'll often see things laying all around the floor. And I'll say, tomorrow morning when you wake up, make sure you get all this cleaned up. The next night, I'm back up there, look around at their floor, look around at their room, and I say to them, make sure tomorrow morning when you wake up that you get this room cleaned up, because they didn't. They're prone to forget. That's why I have to say it. And if they were ever were to ask, Dad, why do you tell us? I asked them that last night. I'm like, how often do I say for you to do that? One of, one of them said, just about every night. It's like, well, why is that? It's because they forget just about every day. Some days they get it, though. And I get up there and it's like, ah, you know. But I have to give the command because they're prone to forget. And sometimes our souls, we need that command, don't we? Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget. Because you so often do. And here we're told not to forget God's benefits. And I wrestled with this word just a little bit. Because I think we generally think of the word benefits as those things that we deserve. I'm going to get my benefits. Ever heard that before? I have. So we think of those benefits as the things that we're going to deserve, or we do deserve. And this word does have the idea in it of getting what we deserve. And so on the one hand, that does strike me as a little bit wrong-headed, doesn't it? We're a people of grace, right? We know we don't deserve anything, right? So it strikes me that way. 
Because I know that I don't deserve what God says that I get here. I don't deserve good from God. If I got what I deserved, it'd be wrath. But on the other hand, I am receiving these things because God has chosen to enter into a covenant of grace with me. He has chosen to do it. He has taken it on himself. And so I have to understand that I have not qualified myself for these benefits. I didn't make myself qualified. I didn't earn what is given here. God has qualified me through the obedience of his son. There are certain benefits that a wife receives because her husband served in the military. Even after he dies, she still will receive some of these. And on her own, she does not qualify. She didn't serve. But because he did, and she has been joined in covenant to him, She's been unified to him and what he has done. What he earned goes to her as her benefit, as if she served herself. This is like our relationship to Christ. What he earned becomes ours. It becomes mine. I receive it as if I had earned it in a sense. So God graciously pours out all of these blessings and benefits on us as if we deserve them ourselves because we've been joined to Jesus. So before we even get to any of these things that are listed here as the reasons that our souls should bless God, those benefits that he gives to us, let us start with the main reason why we can praise him that is unmentioned here, but we know it intuitively, do we not? And it's Jesus. We need to be quick to praise God for our Savior because without him, no benefits. I don't deserve any of them. He does. But I'm his. And what's his now becomes mine. So God can call these, they're your benefits because you've been joined to Jesus. And because we have this covenant with God through him, we need to read all of the following words in this psalm in light, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Some of you all are probably skilled map readers, but you know that you look at a brand new map and you can't tell what all the little things on the map mean. All those little symbols and squiggly marks and check marks, you don't know what it means, right? Until you look at the key that's down here in the corner of the map that tells you what all those symbols stand for. Well, for us, as we read the Old Testament, Jesus is the key. He makes everything come clear to us. We can see it now in a new light. And all those promises that are mentioned under this old covenant, they've now become ours because of Jesus. He casts light on these. And that's pretty clear when we read the words of this psalm. And so look with me at what we're told God is to us, these benefits in verses 3 through 5. This is what you can say to your soul with perfect clarity and truth. You can say this to yourself because of the union that you have by faith in Jesus Christ. You can say, soul, 
God has promised himself to be your forgiver. That's what he is for you. He is your healer. He is your redeemer. He is your crowner. And he is your satisfier. That's what those verses say. Forgives iniquity, heals diseases, redeems life from the pit, crowns with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies with good. That is who God is for you, soul. All sorts of times we probably lay around in bed at night and we have all kinds of dear, weird thoughts in our heads and we talk to our souls in a sense or our souls talk to us and say all kinds of things that are contrary to this. Do you ever have any thoughts that contradict this? I do. Prone, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's what my heart is like. It'll wander. So what do we need? We need the truth of God's word to bring us back to where we need to be. Maybe I've told this before, but in the Marines, I was a surveyor, and we had all kinds of very sensitive instruments and about once a year, I remember how often we had to do it, we had to send them off to this little shop, and their job was to calibrate all of our instruments. Because just a little bit, you know, if you're turning angles, if you just get off just a little bit, what about, you know, a thousand kilometers up the street? Well, that little old tiny angle becomes really wide back down there. So everything needs to be calibrated. Well, our hearts are like that. They need constant calibration. And where do we find that calibration? God's Word. It tells me what is true. You have to be willing to say to yourself that your feelings are not always right. Too many people in our world are guided by what they feel. Your heart wanders. It lies to you. God's Word does not. So if your heart is telling you something that is not here in God's Word, look to it, and it will straighten you up. Where you can say to your soul, soul, God tells me he has forgiven me. I might feel condemned, but God says I'm forgiven in Christ. That's what we need. And so I look with me here. This is a few of these. We're all sinners, right? So I ask you this morning, do you sin? Yes. Hopefully you know when you sin, how you sin not just generally sin, but because of Jesus Christ, he has promised to be your forgiver in all of your sins. Not just most of them, not just in the smallest ones, because maybe you've got a few of those sins in the back of your mind, in the back of your closet, but you think, ah, those are pretty big. God says that in Christ, they've all been nailed to him. And he promises to be your forgiver, that when you stand before him someday, that he will declare you completely righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. He is your forgiver because you are in covenant with him, in union with his son. Is your body weak, sick, old. In Christ, God is your healer. We see this in the earthly ministry of Jesus, that those he came into contact with, they had their diseases healed, and he was showing what his kingdom is like. His kingdom is not a place where people are sick and dying, demon-possessed, 
His kingdom is a place of cleansing and purity and perfect health. That's what it is. That's what it's like. And yes, you might very well be experiencing the healing touch. You might experience the healing touch of God while you're here on earth and can readily say with this psalm that God is your healer. But you know as well as I do that every disease is not healed here on earth. And so we know that the promise of eternity is in view when we say that God is our healer. There's all sorts of bodily ailments and afflictions that are present in this room that God will leave you with until the day you die. But not one of those afflictions will go unhealed. Jesus has purchased for you a body and a mind that will never be afflicted again. And so health in the perfect, fullest sense of the word will be yours when you are with him. It's yours. He will heal you. You know, you might wake up this morning with a pulled muscle in the back after shoveling all that snow, or maybe worse. But you need to know that God is going to give you a perfect body. You will not feel those things again in heaven with him. This is a guarantee. So we trudge along and persevere with all that we carry along with us in this life, do we not? Knowing that this is not, this does not have the final say. God is my healer. He says here that he is our redeemer. Specifically here, he's talking about redeeming us from the pit of death. From the pit of death. And in the past year, somebody mentioned it a little while ago, we've lost several loved ones this year to death, several of our members. Joe White, Faye Wood, Norma Reed, to name a few. And the grave is not a thing that we like to dwell on. Those Old Testament saints, they dreaded the thought of the pit. The grave, Sheol, the place of the dead. And we'll often find them making pleadings to God saying things like, don't send me to the pit. I can't praise you down there. Now in that place, there's no praising. I want to stay alive so my voice stays alive to God and I can keep praising his name. So don't send me there, God, so my praise will echo up to you. But on this side of the resurrection, from our vantage point, we have confidence that the grave is no longer a place to be feared. And so those loved ones who are united with Christ will not be left in the ground. Because Jesus was not left in the ground. And again, we've been joined to him. And these brothers and sisters who tasted death this past year, they are already present with Christ because they have been redeemed. They have been bought back, reclaimed from the wages of sin. The wages of sin are this death. It requires death, but they've been bought back from that because why? Jesus conquered the grave. In all likelihood, some of the people who are sitting here today will not be here on January 1, 2024. And if the time for you to die is drawing near at some point in this next year and you sense it, 
Remember this. You have been redeemed from the pit. Do not be afraid of the grave. It does not have power over you anymore. You are Christ's and he lives. And if he lives and you are his, you'll live with him. God is our crowner. I don't know if I've ever used that word before. Our crowner. Because it says that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. It's an interesting word that David chose to use here. Because we could say, you know, why didn't he just use the word gives? God gives you steadfast love and mercy. Why didn't he just use that instead of crowns? It has to be because he wants to express more than the word gives could offer. So we naturally see that there is the sense of royalty in crown, is there not? And no doubt David knew what it was like to be given a crown that he did not deserve. David didn't earn that crown. And neither do we. But there's another sense of this word that fits here too, and probably a little bit better. It takes on that sense of crowning, but I think this is more of what he is trying to communicate here. The other sense of this word is that it means to completely encircle or entrap, like an army does to an enemy when it conquers them. So there's the enemy army out there in the middle, and there's the, the surrounding army. Got you covered. You can go nowhere. You're done. Finished. Entrapped. Mine. And so this is what God says that he is, he is doing with us with his steadfast love and mercy. He encircles us, surrounds us, entraps us in love and mercy. You can never escape it. And why would you want to? You are plunged in it, immersed in it, never to get out, ever. Take a moment, just let that set in for a minute. Because do you always feel that way? Does your heart always say that you're surrounded and immersed in the love and mercy of God? Is that what things feel like for you right now? That is why the word of God, again, is so necessary. Because God says this is truth right here for you if you are in Christ. You are immersed in his love. And he will not let you go. You have been crowned, surrounded by unending love. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? But it is. A few hundred years ago, a great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, wrote a sermon called Heaven is a World of Love. Even the name of the sermon is wonderful. Heaven is a world of love. Listen to what he says there. There in heaven, this fountain of love, this eternal three in one, is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it. 
There this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory, in beams of love. There the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight, enough for all to drink at and to swim in, yea, so as to overflow the world as if it were a deluge of love. Gosh, you want to go there? Man, I do. Unhindered by me unhindered by my heart. It is a deluge of the love of God that you will never escape from. Oh, wonderful. This is truth. You have been crowned, crowned, surrounded, entrapped, encircled, immersed, plunged, deluged by the love of God. We get a taste of this while we're here, don't we? Just a taste. Every now and then we get to taste that. But this right here is our reality, even if we're not always aware of it. That's what heaven will be like. I think that's a good place for us to stop today. That kind of love has the ability to make any soul, every soul, should be every soul in this room to be willing to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, everything, all that is within me, bless his holy name. So my question as we conclude, will you do that today? Will you see these truths as for you if you are in Christ? If you're not in Christ, look to him. All of this is there for you. Who would reject this? Who doesn't want to live in a world of love? That's the promise in Jesus Christ. Look to him this morning. And these are yours. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to bless your name, praise your name, honor your name, treasure your name. Because of your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us, he has earned it all. We do not earn anything. He has accomplished all and gives us righteousness to stand before you and receive all of these benefits. We are linked to him, joined to him, plunged in him, in covenant by faith. Give us eyes to see Jesus this morning and to rejoice. Lord, we thank you for bringing us through a challenging week. But even if we had not, what would we be doing right now? We would be praising you unhindered in heaven in that world of love. We are in Christ. We rejoice, whether living or dying. We look to him and we praise him today together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this point, if the worship team would come up on the stage, we're going to sing that song one more time. We're going to have the opportunity to bless the Lord with our lips by singing 10,000 reasons one more time. And just a